you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. Church, welcome to each one of you, especially if you're here for the first time, we give you a special welcome. Please make yourself known to us, because we would like to meet you. Thank you. Thank you for raising your hand. Welcome. Okay. If you're following along in your Bible, we are John 17. The scripture was read from John 17, verses 24 to 25. Father in heaven, Lord, uh, pray and ask, Heavenly Father, that you shine your light on us this morning, that we'll open our hearts and our minds to hear you and to make applications to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. The Savior's mission on earth is at an end. He will be arrested, have a sham trial, and be crucified. That coming Friday. In accordance with God's eternal plan, he has successfully accomplished what the Lord sent him to do. And coming to the last three verses of the Lord's high priest prayer, in verses 1 to 5, just to recap a bit to see where we are coming from and where we're going. In verses 1 to 5, he prayed for himself to be glorified in the next event in his life, and that is his crucifixion, where the Father indeed will glorify him by raising him from the dead. He'll be out of the tomb in three days. He asked in his prayer to be resumed to his original position of glory that existed before the world was made, before the foundation of the world. He made known to the disciples who the Father is. They saw the Father in Jesus Christ himself, a perfect expression of the only true God. In the things he say, the things he teach, and the things he did. They have come to know that everything he was teaching, including his miracles, God was in them. And in verses 6 to 10, he prayed for those who the Father had given to him, the elect. He taught them the truth about God's word. They believed, they received, and showed sincere, genuine faith. He also prayed for his glory to be fulfilled in them, even in the midst of hostile environment that they will face. And very important also, as everything he prayed is important, he prayed for unity and harmony among them and for the Father to set them apart, protecting and preserving the spiritual aspects of their lives. 
So he prayed the whole thing completely for them. All of his prayer was done in the presence of them in the upper room. They heard him. And no doubt, this scene of the prayer and is with them must have been very encouraging to his disciples, hearing him praying to the Father on their behalf. Just like when you experience someone praying for you, brings comfort. Now, unity of the believers is very important to our Savior and Lord. And that comes through very clear in his prayer. In verses 20 to 23, he prayed for all believers throughout the church age that they would be perfectly united and identified in him as they go out testifying that the Father has sent him with the salvation message. And what's the message? That God valued his image bearers by allowing his son to go to the cross on their behalf. You're all important to the Lord as his image bearers. And the visible unity and the harmony of his church would convince many in the world of God's divine aspects of life are present in them. So church unity is the foundation of its evangelism. Demonstrating that Christ is the Savior who transforms lives, providing, proving the Father had sent him to do that. That's his mission. So when unbelievers and see believers love each other, rather than division, strife, quarreling, and these sort of thing in the local church, it offers proof to them that the Father has loved those who have believed in the Son and have been truly transformed as they live out the Word of God with the truth. However, in the flesh, it's always going to be a work in process. Where the believer's responsibility is to make a continuous effort towards maturity as we all grow and glow in a dark world. Believers are called upon to pursue the very practical part of their spiritual life. In Ephesians 4.3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. True relationship in any environment especially in the home, needs unity in order to have peace, harmony, and love. And so is the family of God as our Lord prayed. And as he closes a lot of part of his high priestly prayer for all believers, is for them to bond together in the, in the family of love. He's concluding with that. Now, the Apostle Paul from prison urges believers to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Believers do not have to create the positional spiritual part of the unity. That's done in Christ. 
Spiritual unity is already created by the status in the kingdom. Spiritual unity is there because of what Jesus did. Positionally fit for the kingdom of God as the saved one. But we are called to maintain that unity in very practical ways. Maintain. Our Lord then wraps up his high priestly prayer in verses 24 to 26. And in verse 24, he prays, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. As we notice in that scripture, Jesus has a desire. Father, I desire they, and he's talking to the 11 disciples as they were with him, and also for us today, whom you have given me, the elected ones, to be with me where I am, the purpose, to see my glory that you have given me. The reason, because you loved me. When? Before the foundation of the world. You just break everything down. Very clear. We all have desires of some sort in our lives. Many of us leave our homeland and came to Canada, leaving the rest of the family, your wife, your children, or your fiancé, to set up living accommodation here. During that time, both parties can't wait to reunite with each other. There is that longing to be together. In a likewise manner, the Lord's request was more than a plea in his prayer. His prayer expresses his desire of wanting his elected followers to be where he is. And it's not difficult to understand believers wanting to be with their loved ones. It is not difficult to understand believers want to be with Jesus. But it boggles the mind and staggers the imagination that we are so valuable to him that he wants us, you and I, to be with him forever. You are valuable. He wants us to be with him. Our Savior's specific request for those given to him by the Father that they might be where he is, expressing his desire for eternal fellowship. That's what we're going to do. Now Peter, not knowing where Jesus was going, asked him at one time, why I can't come with you now? Jesus responded, you will come later, Peter. Well, not now. He wants believers, you and I, to be where he is to see his glory. Now many Christians has no longing for heaven. 
They have it so good here in the world that heaven is an unwelcome intrusion into their busy schedule. An interruption of their career goals or their pleasure plans. They do not want to see heaven until they have enjoyed all the pleasures the world has to offer. They have to get in on everything before death. When they have seen it all and done it all, or when age or sickness hinders their ability to enjoy those pleasures, then they are ready for heaven. When believers or the church loses its focus on heaven, it becomes self-indulgent and self-centered, materialistic and worldly, and speak weak, spiritual weak and lethargic. Sleep, eat, and just be lazy. The pleasure and comforts of this present world consume too much of their time and energy. And Peter has something to say to us. In Peter 4, 1 Peter 2.11 reminds believers that this world is not their true home. Believers are aliens and strangers here in this world. Paul also reminds believers in Philippians 3.20 that our citizenship is in heaven. Church, believers, unbelievers, God is not a killjoy God. He's not saying not to enjoy life on earth, but live a calculated life. Don't get to the point as a Christian where you are so earthly minded and no heavenly good. And be so heavenly minded that we are no earthly good. We have to take that into consideration as we live life for the Lord. And the Bible warns believers not to get sucked in with the world system. Jesus' desire is quite different from the world's desire. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of the Father abides forever. Godly people always or have always longed for heaven. David wrote in Psalm 1611, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forever. A different kind of pleasure from the world. David talked about. And Jesus talks about. Paul wrote also in Philippians 1.23. His desire is to depart and be with Christ. For that is much better. He longs for heaven. 
Again, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.8, Yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Longing. And finally, in Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, 6 to 8, it reads, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. All. Are you longing for heaven? I am. Church, everything precious to the believers is there in heaven. Everything. Our Heavenly Father is there. Our Savior is there. Our treasures are laid up there. Peter talks about it. To inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. No moth, no rust to destroy. It's all there. Fellow believers and family members in the Lord who died are there. Jesus told the disciples in Luke 10, 20, Nevertheless, do not rejoice that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That is glorious. We look forward for heaven because holiness is there. We don't have to war with the old nature and a fallen evil world corrupted with the world in the world anymore. We don't have to. Jesus has gone to prepare a place for believers so that you and I can be with him forever, sharing rich fellowship with him. Amen. It's good to remember also that Jesus himself is the glory of heaven. He said, Father, I want them to come. That's you and I, the believers. Father, I want them to come where I am to see my glory. You ever imagine that? What Jesus' glory looks like? The splendor, the beauty, where he is. And the reality that believers will be in heaven with Christ and each other is the subject of the last part of the Lord's high priestly prayer. Where he zeroes in on the fellowship of our future glory with him and one another. Life is not finished here when, we, when we're gone. Is life beyond the grave. Heaven is a glorious real place. Whether we take it metaphorically or literally. About the gates of pearl or the streets of gold. is the ambience of heaven. 
The presence of the Lamb, who is the object of our faith, is there. The one who died for us, the one we witness about, the one we serve on earth, the one we have in honor, the worship that we're doing right now, week by week, is there. Yes, the one who was crucified and raised to life to give us the inheritance, we will enjoy life with him forever and with our loved ones forever. No separation anymore. That's it. Christ did it. He made it possible. If you are without Christ, you're out. And I said that in a sad way. Jesus is asking the Father that his followers might see his glory, which the Father had given him. See, church, when Jesus came to earth, when Jesus came to earth in the incarnation, his glory was veiled in his flesh. Only in heaven it will be fully made known to his, to his people when we see him just as he is in his fullness. John in the flesh couldn't handle the sight of Jesus in his glory in a vision he had. But when he, we are transformed with a glorified body, we'll be able to see Jesus face to face. We'll hear, well done, faithful servant. And seeing that we'll see him face to face, we can imagine how some of our face is going to be. Now back in verse 22, he prayed, the glory which you have given me, I have given to them. Not only has he given believers the divine aspects of life that belongs to God on earth to live by and to see his glory in heaven, but we as believers will also share in his glory. Isn't that wonderful? We'll share in his glory. Philippians 3.20 But our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Believers will reflect Jesus' glory. We may not understand it all. We don't have to. You just have to believe it. That's what Jesus is saying. God's word is the truth. We don't understand a lot of things on earth. And sometimes even what the scriptures say, but we have to go by faith and believe it because it's God's word. God's word will endure forever regardless what you and I understand. Believers will enter the fullness of Christ's glorious presence when death or the rapture occurs. Oh yes, it will happen one way or the other. It's definite because Jesus raises from the dead. 
So the question still remains, are you longing for heaven? The word of God tells us that things in life that plagues us will be removed forever. Look what heaven offers in Revelation 22, 3-4. As Jesus gave his disciple John while he was on the island of Patmos this revelation. No longer will there be anything accursed. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Church, we no longer live under the Genesis curse when Adam and Eve fell. We don't have to, that anymore. It's gone. Disappeared. It's a different life with a different body if you're in Christ. A state of permanent happiness Joy and contentment waits each believer. All the blessings believers will one day experience in heaven flow from the reality that the Father loved the Son. That's where it all stems from. And He loved Him before the foundation of the world. And sent Him to earth to be our Savior and Redeemer. You see His eternal plan? Is all wrapped up in the son he loves. From all eternity, the father and the son enjoy perfect fellowship, love and glory. And they want us, their sheep, to be there in heaven to enjoy perfect fellowship with them. Imagine the God of heaven wants you and I to be with him, to have fellowship. He used to do it with Adam and Eve in the garden before they fell. Every evening he walks down. Hey, Adam and Eve, where are you? One day they hid. And you know why? We don't have to hide anymore. Based on the father and the son mutual love, the father chose the people, gave them to the son, and prepared an eternal kingdom for them where we will be Behold his glory forever and ever. From Genesis to Revelation, that's the message. The Lord continues in verse 25. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. God is righteous in everything he does when it comes to his actions. Jesus knows the Father from all eternity because he's from eternity in the triune Godhead. And the disciples have come from a far way to understand and believe that the Father had sent him with the salvation message. They had their rough time in understanding things. Because Jesus had to scold them sometimes. And those who acknowledge the truth and act upon it, 
the Father will do the right thing because he's righteous. And believers will be where Jesus desires them to be. His request is not for the world, which has not known the Father and hence has no right to receive the Father's special care or the Son's intercession, but only to those who believe his word and put their faith in him. There is no such thing as a universal stuff going to go on here. One has to know God, the Father, and his Son, Jesus Christ. That is eternal life. That is what Jesus said. There's no part-time salvation. Look at verse 26. I've made, I've made known to them your name. And I will continue to make it known. That the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. I have made known to them your name. Again, that is God's attributing power. Let me flush that out a bit about his name. Very important. In Exodus 6.3, God said, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. And in Exodus 6.8, And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand. To give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as your possession. I am the Lord, all capital letters. God's personal name. Yahweh, the I am, in all his attributing powers. Having the ability to do all that is necessary to set the Israelites free from the bondage of slavery in Egypt. Ten plagues. And a divided Red Sea. God's power. By his name. He's going to do it. By his name the Lord. All capital letters. Jesus is praying. Because God's righteousness. Of God's right. And will do the right thing. Because of the work done on the cross. And at the resurrection. It will be answered. By God's name. His power. His power raised Jesus from the dead. His power will answer what Jesus prayed for. Because Jesus did the work. His name is powerful. I am the Lord. That's my name. Yahweh. So Jesus continues... To pray. And he said this in verse 26. And I will continue to make it known. That is through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And the inspired scripture. That's what's coming to here. Will remind, teach and give spiritual security. And guidance to believers throughout the church age. By the power of God's name. 
Jesus initially makes the Father known at the moment of salvation and will continue to make God known to the believers throughout the process of progressive sanctification. What I mean, a continued process of cleansing from sin and understanding, setting apart for holiness. Nothing surpass a surrender's life to the Lord. We have to do our part. Yes, we have a ticket to go to heaven. We have citizenship. But God expects us here to live the very practical life he calls us to live. The love of oneness that Jesus is praying about in this prayer. The love of oneness between father and son. In the same way, love will bring unity among believers. The father loved Jesus. Jesus loved believers. The father, Jesus, and the believers have a family love relationship. Which starts from the top. With God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You see how that works? The Father loves Jesus. Jesus loves us. The Father, Jesus, and us have a family love relationship. That's how that equation works out. It's amazing what Jesus did on his mission, what he came to do. It's amazing when you understand it. And we don't claim to understand everything. But what has been revealed in the word of God is exciting. It's glorious. Life for the Christian begins here on earth. Jesus said in John 14, 23, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him. And we will come to him or her, and make our home with him or her. That's what the Father wants to do here. Yes, we have a fellowship we're going to have with the Father for eternity, but he wants to start here. This is where he wants to start it. He and the Father will come and make their home with you and I. The point is we have to allow him. If we do not allow him with a surrendered life, it's not going to happen. A surrendered life is very valuable to God and more so to us. And then finally, ushers his elect, the Father has given him into his heavenly presence in the glorification stage. That is the future eternal state of the redeemed as Revelation 21 1 and 2 reads John said when he saw the vision then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea I saw the holy city the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. That's the grand finale. So as we come to the ending of the Lord's Prayer, 
We are to remember as we pilgrimage here on earth in our day-to-day life, the Lord's prayed for believers. He prayed for preservation. He says, Holy Father, keep them in your name. That powerful name. Then for our sanctification, keep them apart to holiness. Then on to glorification, where believers will see and experience Jesus in his exalted position and power in all his glory. He brought it to the close in that prayer. The high priest represents us well. He's the high priest. He's the final high priest. When men and women accept the Father as he is revealed by the Lord Jesus Christ, they become special objects of the Father's love. Since the Lord Jesus indwells all believers, the Father can look upon them and treat them as he does his only Son. That's how God looks upon us. And it's all because of Jesus. His work that he did on the cross. Heaven is one thing. Eternal darkness is quite another. And here the scripture invites us with an opportunity to consider if you are not a believer in Christ. In John 3, 17 to 18, he said, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God, the only Son of God, Jesus Christ. Then we have John the Baptist, the forerunner, who had his head cut off because he stands for the truth and he preaches the word of God. He said, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Scripture is very clear. Scripture doesn't play games. It's just serious stuff. The Lord came to earth on a mission to lead lost sinners into a personal relationship with God the Father, which comes only by knowing him, that is Jesus, and knowing the Father. When it comes to God's word, it is wise to know what you are rejecting and why you are rejecting, because there are consequences to follow. That's according to God's word. Heaven is eternal life. Are you longing for heaven? It is imminent. It's coming. Be ready. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so thankful for sending your son to die on the cross for our sins. 
And thank you, Lord, for desiring us to be with you. To see your glory and to share your glory for all eternity. We thank you, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.